I'm afraid to stop counting calories, Belinda said. I like to eat, and if I just let myself eat as many calories as I wanted, there's zero doubt I'll gain weight. I will gain weight. All those people on the internet who say, oh, I stopped counting calories and I got so much slimmer. I'll be honest, I think it's crap. Belinda's not the first person to say this. I think most people who have counted calories resist letting it go for exactly the same reason. If the alternative is to just eat with no guidelines, no limits, of course they're going to eat more than they had been while they were restraining themselves. It just makes sense. If you've been following my work for the long haul, you know I've shifted over the last 15 years. I found my clients get far better outcomes when they think less about calories and grams and tune more into sensations of hunger, desire, and satisfaction. Their mental health improves, their physical health improves, and the big thing is they stay improved. You've probably heard many people recount stories of how they used to weigh and measure everything, but they haven't done it in a couple of years. Or there was that time when Mark and I did this thing at the gym and our trainer Tony gave us exact calorie targets and I followed it for like six weeks. This is typical. People count calories or follow a strict meal plan until the figure competition or the beach vacation or wedding is over or that new year, new me health kick wears off and then they're done. But how often do you hear people say, you know, I really learned to eat when I was hungry and stop when I was full, but I decided to just stop doing that eventually and I haven't done it in a couple years. Not so much, because when people learn these skills, they tend to not want to revert back to not practicing them. I've never heard somebody say they learned how to really meet their emotional needs without food, but they decided to go back to emotional eating. It just doesn't happen. Do things sometimes knock people against their intentions into prior habits? Yes, they certainly do. But people don't decide to just give them up. And when they've had them in the past, they also know that they can get them back again if they stumble. I know I'm not the only one who values the practice of learning how to eat according to our internal states versus an external set of rules. Lots of people want to get there. That's why they hire me. That's why they read my books and listen to my show. But I also know that even if they want to get to the point where they're listening to their body cues, it can feel impossible if right now you don't feel any body signals and you've been counting calories and it's so deeply ingrained to keep your anxiety and guilt over eating in check. So in this episode, I'm going to share some more options for how to gently encourage your own growth in this area, assuming that you're starting from absolute ground zero. You can start to work with your physical and emotional states to reach a peaceful relationship with food and eliminate the need to binge or emotionally eat. Best of all, you save a ton of work counting calories and you replace that work with a calm, confident stability. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. But I am so afraid of gaining weight. Whenever I'm speaking with a client about stepping away from counting calories, this fear hangs in the room. They may say it, they may not say it, but I can hear it. It's like a ghost or a lingering smoke in the air. 
I expect it to be there. I'm so used to working with this fear as our company in session. It's one of the costs of doing business, I guess. I'm sure dentists and veterinarians also have to handle the same thing. Working with our patients' fear is a crucial competency. Most importantly, we have to be able to not let our client or patient's fear prevent us from getting the job done. Now, if you were a Labrador in need of a nail trim and I was the expert dog groomer, I could muzzle you, I could restrain you and get her done. But that doesn't work with nutrition counseling. I'm pretty sure it would be illegal. And oh, dentistry? That's nightmare fodder right there. (laughs) Because in nutrition counseling, I can't do it to you. You have to voluntarily take the actions to get to your goals. What I can do is help with guidance, reassurance, directing your effort in the most productive ways, and so, so crucially, pacing the rate of change. This is a key part of managing the fear that is so often part of the journey. How do we manage fear of weight gain during the inherently fearful process of trying to stop dieting and counting calories? Key number one. We only make small changes. The transition from being a card-carrying calorie accountant to a confident, sensible eater can be done in many small gradations. And gradually changing small things enables us to keep fear at a manageable level. If we try and go from daily ironclad restraint to total free-for-all, two undesirable things can happen. One, significant rapid weight gain. And two, we could set a pendulum in motion between under-eating and binge-eating. And as many people with binge-eating disorder can attest, being stuck in the drama of swinging back and forth between those extremes and the emotional extremes that go with it really sucks. Most people are chiefly afraid of weight gain, but the second situation is definitely a priority of mine to avoid. Key number two, we normalize and accept the emotions. It's completely expected. Fear, difficulty, frustration, and disappointment will make appearances in the change process. It's just a matter of when and how we handle them. When these feelings come up, it's so easy to take it as, oh my God, this is a sign it's not the right move, or this isn't working for me. But these are based on fallacies. Decisions that are good for us in our long-term perspective are rarely, if ever, going to be completely comfortable. It's okay to feel scared of gaining weight. It's okay to be scared of disappointing me or be scared that you'll feel like a failure. Being scared doesn't have to stop you. Key number three, we leave time between steps. This is so, so, so important. And I know we're all wanting to rush to get to the finish line as fast as we can. But the more uneasy a person is about gaining weight as they let go of restricted eating, then the more helpful it is to let some time pass after each change. This time provides the reassurance that we're not, in fact, getting larger. When day after day, your clothes still fit, you look about the same in the mirror, you haven't woken up and discovered that you've gained so much weight that you can't put on any of your clothes, it leads to calming your anxious brain. So remember, counting calories or weighing food are anxiety-soothing behaviors. So it makes sense. Once you try an experiment with not doing them, it's paramount to tune in and reassure yourself in the face of that inevitable anxiety. I'm okay. Nothing bad is happening. So we've got our three keys laid out. 
Now, the actual steps of change to leave behind calorie counting and get to a place where you can eat in a healthy, sustainable way without gaining a ton of weight or setting off binge eating. This can look a bit different for everyone, as you may expect. Reach out to me or another professional coach if you need some personalization. That's why we exist. Before we let go of any piece of calorie counting, we actually want to add in some of the things that will eventually replace it. The interoceptive signals, that is, your body's cues and your emotions, are going to take over the job that right now calorie counting is doing. This is where people go wrong. I mean, figuratively, they fire the calorie counter from their staff, but they haven't even hired or considered a replacement candidate yet. Don't be that manager. Bring on the new staff, train them up, and then you can plan to give a pink slip to the calorie counter down the road. I'm going to break the interoceptive signals into three big categories. I invite you to consider them one at a time and work on each one until you feel like you're really getting it. And then giving yourself a little time to settle in. Once you're comfortable with all three, try to take a step away from calorie counting. But we'll get to that. First, let's talk about these big three categories of interoceptive signals. First up, hunger. I know when I was counting calories, and I did it for about a decade without a gap, I wished I had some sort of calorie meter to look at, like the gas gauge in a car. It would be so nice if I could just glance at my arm or my abdomen and it would say, 300 calories left to go, or you had 87 too many calories, because that would have saved me from doing all the addition in the margins of my notebooks. 80 calories for a slice of bread, you know, 45 for two teaspoons of light margarine, and so on. I know a lot of calorie counting apps pretend to be able to do that, giving you a visible budget so that you can obsess over it as the day goes on. But your body actually does sort of have a calorie meter, and you can use it to tell if you're in an energy deficit, if you're meeting your needs, or if you're exceeding your needs. So since this show is about overcoming binge eating and emotional eating, talking about how to use this system to maintain your weight while you heal from those behaviors is the most appropriate. I think you'll find it's refreshingly simple. First, we define hunger. I usually go with the empty, hollow sensation in the abdomen definition, and it may or may not be accompanied by muscle contractions or that growling feeling. The key part here is abdomen, belly, your gut. Call it what you want. It's not your head, it's not your mouth or your neck. It often goes along with a desire for food, but the desire for food is different. So the ticket is the location of the signal. Are you getting it from your belly? The first step is to simply pay attention to the absence or presence of this sensation as you do all the normal things you do, including food tracking or following any particular calorie rules. Take a few days to notice. Do I never ever feel hunger? Do I feel it once in a while? Do I feel it throughout a lot of the day but ignore it? Or do I just grab a coffee when I feel it to dull it? Get an idea of how much body hunger you feel. You don't have to change anything yet. We're just gathering awareness. Second up, we'll turn our awareness to fullness or satisfaction. This is also called satiation, but people tend to stumble on saying that word, so I usually go with satisfaction. 
we want to get acquainted with the feeling of satisfaction that comes from eating. The word fullness is handy, but it's not a perfect term because, as you may know, you can be really full if you eat a large bowl of broccoli or if you drink a big bottle of fizzy water. In terms of stomach distension, you feel full. But it's not a satisfied feeling. The satisfaction from eating an adequate amount of food comes also with a sense of relaxation, a drop in the drive to eat and consume more food. If you feel like, oh no, Georgie, I never feel that. My circuit's broken. I must be missing some organ or cells responsible for that satisfied feeling. I never feel it. Let me reassure you, this is a common experience. It's something we can fix. So why might you never, ever feel satisfied? Typically, it's due to psychological interference. In short, when you're focusing on how many calories you're allowed and the ensuing stress over how you will stay within those rules, you're creating a reality where food is limited and there's emotional noise. And that drives up the motivation to get as much food as we can. It inflates the value of food which is already necessary for survival and pretty valuable to start with. Furthermore, the experience for most people who have dieted gets tied up in emotions. So eating extra incites intense negative feelings, a whole lot more than, say, if you inadvertently squirted too much toothpaste on your toothbrush. You'd be like, oops, whoops, too much toothpaste. But eating too much, oh, strong emotional responses. These strong emotions can make it much harder to sense what's going on in our bodies physically. So the process of stressing over how much you're eating can literally make it harder to feel when you've eaten the appropriate amount. So to take steps forward here, what I recommend doing is practicing tuning in. Just like I mentioned doing with hunger, keep eating the way you normally eat, sticking to whatever calorie rules you're accustomed to, but change up how much attention you put into your physical sensations during and after eating. Can you feel a difference in your body between when you started lunch and when you finished lunch? What exactly changes in your body? Does certain foods seem appealing at the beginning of the meal, but not so appealing at the end of the meal? One of the things that happens as we get satisfied is that less palatable foods don't seem to be as much of a draw. I mean, if I'm hungry, broccoli might sound really, really good. Would I take an apple? Yes, you bet. But if you're satisfied, you might think, eh, I don't really want more broccoli. Mm, that's not my favorite type of apple. Oh, chocolate cake? Yeah, sure, I'll have a piece of that. But if I'm not interested in another serving of veggies, that's a good signal that I am beginning to feel satisfied. Which brings me to the third category of interoception I want you to pay attention to. Emotions. Da, da, da. The ability to recognize what we're feeling and the ability to regulate our emotional responses, they're key skills in recovering from disordered eating patterns. And when someone has a lower level of skill in sensing hunger and noticing satisfaction, that person also typically has less developed skill in picking up on their emotions. Notice I'm calling it a skill because it's not something static. Uh, these abilities are not like your height, which you just sort of get what you get. Emotional skills are things that are nurtured and developed, which also means it's never too late to develop them. So if you want to develop the sense, how do you do it? Like hunger and satiety, you have to feel for it. You have to tune in 
and you have to try and notice, do I feel something good right now? Do I feel something unpleasant right now? What specifically would I call this feeling? Journaling can be helpful because it makes us form words out of our thoughts. And if you ask yourself, what was the best moment today? What was the hardest moment of today? Those two prompts can be very effective at zooming right in on specific chunks of the day, which likely had some noticeable emotional presence. So if you journal, try using that one. What was the best moment today? Write it out. What was the hardest moment today? Write it out. And when you write it out, try to not only say what happened, but your reaction to it. Did you feel a rush of heat? Did you feel dizzy? Did you feel agitated and like moving? Did you feel stunned and motionless? You know, think about what you experienced in your body as well as where your mind went in those moments. You might uncover a story that you were telling yourself. If your brain runs off in a catastrophic direction when you get a slight bit of worrying news, that's a good thing to notice and jot down. Further in the journey, you can take steps to notice emotions when they're budding and explore other ways of managing them. But the key first step cannot be skipped. And that's where I want you to start. You have to be able to tell when you're having emotions before you can become expert at handling them. Can you learn all of this while calorie counting? Of course you can. You can pay attention to your hunger and satisfaction signals around eating, and you can begin to tune into your emotional states more, all while still doing any food rituals or behavior that you aren't ready to part with yet. I'm simply asking you to just turn a little more attention there. Once you have these skills growing, however, you might start to notice that they can take over some of the work of calorie counting. And you're likely to see that sometimes the signals from your body aren't going to be in agreement with your food rules. Hello, tension. But since this episode has gotten long enough, I'm going to save that for the next show. You know, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to get it done. But for now, if you're counting calories or points or macros and you want to let it go, but you're afraid of gaining weight, please, please start with these three skills. Begin to bring some awareness to your hunger signals, your satisfaction signals, and your emotions. Be good to yourself. I know this one's a challenge, but I have faith in you. Meet me in the same spot for the next episode. We'll talk about what the next steps are in stepping away from the calorie counting. See you then.